gonna rock these shades Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an Indie Blues double shot from our featured artist today, Nelson Blanchard. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. I've been walking on air since your baby told me.
Nelson on the line. Hey, Nelson, how are you? 
Hey, how are you, Richard? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is to look at your journey and the story that you have up to this point in your life. So give us the story of Nelson Blanchard. Well, Richard, I've been playing music since I'm 10 years old in bars and clubs. Um, my father owned a big club in a small town called Pierreport where they film swamp people. Actually, Troy Landry is my cousin. Okay. Um, now, my dad got you know, many bands, uh, Fats Domino, Little Rich, not Little Richard, but uh, Jerry Lee. He got a lot of big country artists in there. And, uh, you know, Conway Twitty, and he had Ray Price. He had Ernest Tubb every year. So that influenced me considerably. I, I just loved watching these people. And back then, you know, young people could, they could slip into those <laughs> halls, you know, and, and enjoy the music. It wasn't very strict back then. But uh, I was influenced by that, and so I, I took music in school from fourth grade on, and I've got a year and a half of college, and I just uh, did that. And then I got into, of course, at an early age, uh, playing music live with my own bands and uh, enjoyed uh, playing all over Louisiana mostly, you know. And then I got into the recording business, and... Uh, Actually, uh, I recorded uh, Britney Spears for seven years. I was her first producer oh, here in Baton. Okay. Yeah, she uh, she was seven years old when I started working with her, and I actually helped her get her record deal in a sense because the song that we put her voice on—I say we, I mean me—was <laughs> uh, the actual song that kind of broke the deal, you know. And uh, her mom called me and said, "Nelson, you'll never believe it." Britney just got signed. And I worked with a lot of, you know, other artists, some big artists like uh, the Goo Goo Dolls and uh, this this little girl that was a little squeaky voice on uh, uh, Police Academy. Actually, she was a very good singer, and we did an album on her. I, I've done probably 150 to 200 albums for other people uh, in my studio that I started around early 80s, 82, 83, something like that. And uh, finally, I decided to go ahead and put an album together. But it was kind of happenstance, I tell you honestly. Uh, this producer by the name of Dan Tyler in Nashville, who discovered Leanne Rhymes, he got me to put a voiceover for one of his artists, and we sent the song that I put the voiceover on to... Uh, Lloyd Maines, who was Natalie Maines' father with the Dixie Chicks. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd, when he got the song, he asked uh, Dan, who is that singing? And and Dan said, that's Nelson Blanchard. He's, and I had been working for Dan, my producer, for many years with, for other artists, you know. And he said, well, you need to do something on him. And, and so that that's how that got started. And uh, Dan's been very, very supportive of me. And so we put this album together right in the middle of COVID. <laughs> okay. So that's what we were doing during the COVID years. Now, if you were to run into someone and you wanted to give them the elevator pitch on this particular release to get them excited about, you know, going up and listening to it, 
what would you tell them? Well, I, honestly, I think it's worth a listen. You know, I've, I've got a lot of experience. I've worked with um, I've worked with Kenny Neal. I've, I've been on tour with Kenny. I, I'm in a group called Louisiana's Larue. I do have a lot of experience playing music and playing behind other people, uh, and so. You know, I think it's just worth giving it a listen. I hope hope they will, you know. Okay. Now, you're with on uh, Louisiana LaRue. That means that you're, uh, you know, uh, Jim Odom. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Jim was my first engineer when I had, I had a big studio, 24-track studio. And Jim was going to LSU for electronics and making these little uh, connections for me, you know. Uh, and he went on to... Uh, established this great company called Presonus. Mm-hmm. And but Jim worked with me uh, while he was going to LSU. And, and, of course, we've been playing music together for many years. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Well, I'll tell you, he did a great job with Presonus. In fact, uh, uh, from what I understand, he just sold it to Fender. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, just sold the company to Fender. He's, good move on his part, I think. Um, yeah, we had a sh- Lafayette, Louisiana, and and the day that it happened, and uh, and Jim was in, walked in the dressing room. I said, you know, somebody ought to buy us all around right now because somebody just made a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did he step up or what? Yeah, yeah, he did. Okay. Now um, let's talk a little bit about your process as a songwriter. When you sit down to begin that, you know, sitting down to start writing a song. What is the mechanism that you like to use that kind of helps you tap into the muse? Well, you know, it takes some inspiration. So, you know, what I do is I'll go and, and just listen to music, you know, and to get inspired. Um, it, You know, I hate to blow any kind of a horn, but it's something that I can turn off and on when I want to write a song. I'll put myself in that 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 frame of mind and I can just do it, you know, but it, it, I know what to do as far as preparing myself to do that. And, uh, I just, I just do it. You know, I, the last two songs I wrote, in fact, they're on this album. Um, uh, I wrote walking. I had my iPhone with me and I, I was just thinking, you know, of the progression in my mind, the melody and the, the lyrics. And, uh, it just all came together that way. So, um, it's kind of pragmatic to me, you know. I, I don't, uh, I don't need a whole lot of uh, the, the the as they say, the song came down from heaven, you know, on my lap. Well, it doesn't happen to me quite like that. I, but I do get in a frame of mind where I can write, and of course, again, I, you know, I'm schooled, so I've had all this experience as far as knowing what works and best, you know, what doesn't work as far as chordal progressions and so forth and melodies so i guess that's it okay now you had mentioned that you know you had your cell phone with you and it you know technology has really brought us some great tools uh the cell phone being one of them where we can capture those ideas that back in the day we used to lose more songs than we ever wrote um what are some of the tools that you have found you know besides the cell phone that have become indispensable to you as a writer? Well, of course, you know, I've got a recording studio, a Pro Tool studio right in my home here. So, uh, 
I couldn't be better set up than that. You know, I, I of course, I work in here almost every day, uh, helping other people get their music up. Um, but I can just, I, as a matter of fact, uh, if I can say it right now, I'm, I'm in my pajama bottom in my, my robe right now. <laughs> my workplace. <laughs> well, I, I have to. I, I don't want to. I don't want to paint a mental picture in anybody's mind, but yeah, well, yeah I mean, that's okay. Being, I mean, I'm sitting in my studio, but you know, I'm in a set of a pair of Dockers and a T-shirt, but you know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't quite got to my pajamas yet, you know. <laughs> so um, now you had mentioned that you're working with. Uh, Pro Tools as as a um, a DAW, and I'm always curious about you know what DAWs people use, uh, and of course I use Jim software. Uh, you know I use Studio One. I think that's a great DAW and software. Um, is it because of uh, the fact that it's uh, this this so-called industry standard that you stated with Pro Tools, or there is something about that software that you like? Well. You know that that's a little part of it, the, the industry standard thing. Although I've got Jim's uh, software as well, and I've used it. Uh, I love the sounds in that thing, especially. But it's just a matter of what I got used to. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was early two thousands that I, I got used to this. Uh, right after I left the twenty four track studio and and came back home. Actually, I bought this home with it that had a studio in it. And so I just moved everything back here. And uh, when I did so, I started working with uh, Pro Tools. And uh, so I just got used to it, and it, it does the job for me, you know. Right, right. Well, I think that's I think that's why a lot of people, you know, don't move, you know, their DAW to a new platform is because they, they've got their workflow. They've learned what they needed to learn in order to efficiently work with that software so to learn a whole new platform you know that's another learning curve that you really don't want to have to deal with you know right mm-hmm. that's right now i'm going to tell you this i have a lot of free saunas gear here uh, some of the early pieces that uh, jim would uh, actually he gave me a few pieces when they were just getting started you know mm-hmm. and uh, actually the di that i use the quantum so i love it you know okay and yeah so yeah i i, I use my share of pre-sonus now all right well yeah it's he's definitely made some great gear uh and i'm sure some of that early stuff was really cool because you know he was still you know creating uh what he wanted you know his vision you know mm-hmm. yeah now um of course every songwriter um has to get to a point where they put the pen down and they declare the song at least done enough that they can give to the band, they can give to, uh, you know, the producer, uh, whoever it may be. Uh, what is what is your quantifier? What do you use to determine when a song is ready to, you know, to get to that point where you move from the uh, writing to the production phase? Well, actually, I'm going to tell you, I I will begin the recording process uh, and will add to that as I go. So uh, I may just have the basics of a song done, you know, and I'll I'll uh, I'll put a beat on there and 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 add the the basic tracks, you know, the rhythm tracks, and then things will just kind of start 
uh, flowering from there. You know, I may get some extra ideas, and, uh, but the core of the song is written, you know. But uh, as far as, I guess you would say, the arrangement comes, you know, as I go through the process. It's not something that I visualize, like the whole thing with all the instruments. That comes as I, as I add parts in the studio. I, I love that part, you know, okay. that creative where, hey, I can do anything I want with this, you know. Right, right, right. Now, of course, you know, every artist and every producer or engineer has their their process when they work in that environment of the studio to get the sound they're looking for. Um, when you work in that environment, when you, you know, get the band into the studio, do you like to do it live from the floor? Do you like to track it? What What is your process when you are looking to capture the sound you're looking for? What do you like to do? Well, as you well know, you know, they make, plugins now that just absolutely floor floor me and floor people in the studio as far as the quality and the the likeness to the original instruments i'm amazed at what they're able to do so naturally i like to use that because uh i can go in and quantize things and uh you know eq things and and even change once you've got the midi information recorded you can change instruments you can you know do right. whatever you want or, so I like that end of it. Even even drums, you know, I love programming drums, and I do so myself. Uh, I've I've gotten a good drum sound here at the studio, but not with every drummer I've had in here. You know, uh, Randy, our the drummer with the uh, Larue, uh, always gets a great sound here, uh, and um, there are a couple others. But I really like to work with the digital drums. You know. Okay. Now on this on this album we had some great drummers that played on it you know so um, got the real deal for that. All right, now um, tell me about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Well, uh, we've got quite a few people and very notable people. Of course, David Hyde is my co-producer as well as Dan Tyler. Um, Dan, by the way, discovered Leanne Rhymes and he wrote some great songs from some big artists, uh, um, uh, Eddie Rabbit, uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and a whole ton of people, you know. He's a really well-known writer. Anyway, uh, David's playing bass. Uh, I've got Tariva Henderson on background vocals. I'm just looking down the list here. Uh, Tariva was on the Nashville Network for two or three years, uh, Crook and Chase. She sang there uh, as a regular. Okay. Uh, Randy Carpenter, who's a drummer with LaRue. Uh, Ian Webster, who plays guitar. He's a great guitarist here in Baton Rouge. He's my guitar player in the group, uh, our new group. Joel Sanye, you've probably heard that name. Oh, yeah. Uh, The French accordion player. Yeah. Uh, David Grissom. David, uh, you know, was with uh, uh, John Mellencamp. Uh, John Cooper, some people know him by. Also, he plays with the Dixie Chicks, what well, they're now called the Chicks. A great guitar player. Um, we got Brent Mason on guitar as well. Mr. Guitar in Nashville. He's really well, uh, he's well known, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Shane Terry on guitar. Shane is uh, the musical director for uh, Daryl Hall, for Daryl's show. Oh. 
Was it live at Daryl's house or something right, like that? Right. Okay. Yeah. And he plays with Hall of Notes as well. Uh, William Tyler is Dan's son. William's a great guitarist, and he's playing on here. Kenny Neal is playing on here. Nice. Okay. And then Lloyd, yeah, yeah, Kenny's a great player, man. Uh, like I said, I had the opportunity to tour uh, uh, with B.B. King with uh, him over in Japan back in the mid-'90s. Uh, and then we got uh, Lloyd Maines, again, the SEAL player, uh, the, the father of Natalie Maines with the Dixie Chick, the Chicks. Excuse me. Uh, Eddie Bayer's on drums. Eddie's, again, Mr. Drummer in Nashville. He's played on tons of huge hits as well. Owen Hale, who was also a big Nashville drummer, and played with Leonard Skinner for five and a half years. We've got Lon Price on alto sax, Bob Henderson on sax, Chris Carmichael is our string player. He's he plays the whole orchestra. He does twenty something tracks on two or three of these songs, and it, I mean it is an orchestra. He's phenomenal. Uh, Larry Franklin on fiddle. Larry. Is well known in Nashville. Plays with Vince Gill, you know. Okay. Uh, Sarah Russo on background vocals. Then we've got Jason Parfait on sax and Ian Smith on trumpet and trombone. These two guys are with the five hundred four horns, and uh, they're touring the world right now um, with an artist, with, you know, an artist with a uh, major deal. Uh, Ron Eads is playing sax on this album. Ron was one of the Muscle Shoals horns played with uh, Aretha Franklin and others, you know? Nice. And then we've got Lacey Blackledge on trumpet and Chris Bellow on trombone. Uh, both of these guys are in my my personal band, so that's that's a lineup. Some great musicians, man. Okay. I'm, I'm so... I've been uh, a part of this with them, you know? Now, you're working with Frank Rozak uh, to get it out there, you know, to do radio and, and PR and press. Um, how is that relationship working out? Oh, Frank is just, uh, he's just great. Uh, you know, he's worked a few albums that I've done here in, in the studio. Uh, I mentioned Kern Pratt, mm-hmm. uh, Broken Chains. Uh, our, our dear buddy Kern uh, passed away uh, during covid um, but uh, he did a great job with that. Uh, Keith Stone, uh, another blues artist uh, out of New Orleans, and he promoted that album. He he done some great things uh, for some of these artists, and some of them have toured Europe and different places uh, because of it. You know, and I I couldn't be happier with our relationship. Really nice guy and a hard worker too. Cool. Now, let's talk about the industry a little bit. Um, going into, you know, uh, owning your own studio is is getting rougher and rougher because of the fact that recorded music, the product that we produce as engineers and studio owners, has lost its status as a product. It's not, people don't pay for it anymore. Um, they look at it now as a service. They expect it on their phone. These streaming services today have created such a, um, uh, how can I say, a mindset within the consumer uh, that's out there that if you're not participating in these platforms, you immediately become irrelevant. 
So you're kind of in this catch-22. They're not paying you for your content, not even close to uh, giving you enough that you could break even. Um, but yet you can't not, you know, be there because, you know, that's where the consumer is looking for you. Um, how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, you know, it's it's good in one way and it's not so good in another, you know. Um, the way that musicians get paid now for their writing, uh, as you mentioned, which streaming, which is most of, I would say, the, the lion's share of how music gets uh, sold now. Um, I, I know that I represent uh, a few artists and and the money just trickles in. I'm talking about a fraction of a cent, you know, for a play. Um, you can hardly get uh, rich on that. But on the other hand, you know, with these platforms, particularly, you know, with uh, YouTube and and uh, and others with TikTok, of course, that's a big deal, TikTok now. But, you know, you can get a presence on there and it can happen overnight. There's a guy in Houma, Louisiana here that has three and a half million followers from simply singing songs in a small store. When he goes into the store, they've got a song ready for him. And he sings with the record, with the recording, and he's got a great voice. His name is Bear Bailey, but he has, over, I won't say overnight, but in a very short time, he's got three and a half million followers. And so he got the attention of major people in Nashville. So it can it can go either way. Either you can be uh, in oblivion, you know, if you're not there, uh, you could possibly get in the back way and the way that we know about it you know and that is through promotion radio stations uh internet radio and so forth but uh as you said the most likely it's going to be because of a presence on the internet you know but I, I will say this also that i've always been told you know musicians don't really make money uh on their records they make money performing so the record companies, they're the ones who would make the money. Uh, you know, they would recoup tons and tons of money before an artist would start getting paid. So really, it, it's six one half dozen the other as far as a musician getting paid, even as a writer, you know. Right. Unless, of course, gigantic hit. But uh, I've just relied on, hey, get ready to play and make money that way because uh, the money from sales, unless it's a tremendous hit, will not come pouring in, you know. Now, there there is some technology that is giving us some promise for the future. Um, there are streaming platforms that have been developed that utilize the blockchain, which is that technology the cryptocurrency is based off of. Mm -hmm. And um, they're claiming that they will pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue. And one of the reasons they say they can do this is that it's a decentralized system. In other words, no corporation owns it. It is owned by the fans and it is owned by the artists that put up their content. They're the ones who are in charge of these platforms as they develop. Uh, what do you think of that as a potential future where artists start moving to these other streaming platforms as streaming evolves into the, you know, the future? Well, you know, I'm 
definitely game for any of that. I'm, I've had a long discussion about that with uh, an artist by the name of David St. Remain, who's actually one of my clients from a long time. He uh, was on a, a show called uh, Nashville Star or something. It was a competition show. Mm-hmm. And he one of the semifinals. I mean, this is a national show, you know. And uh, he, we were talking about this very thing. And uh, he knew a whole lot about it and uh, kind of enlightened me a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, if it works, I love it. You know, I'll get, I'll get on board for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just hesitant right now about having money, you know, virtually here and there. Even, even when I get up a few bucks in my uh, cash app, I send it to the bank, you know. Well, uh, you know, I think that's it, one of the things that um, a lot of people are hesitant about with these new blockchain-based streaming, but you're mm-hmm. still working with dollars. You're not working with cryptocurrency. You know, um, I mean, you can still purchase with dollars. You can uh, convert to dollars and, and put it in your bank. So, you know, the, the U.S. dollar is still king, even in these in, in this technology, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, there's another technology i think you might find this really interesting um there's a site called royal.io and what that allows you to do is to create these non-fungible tokens that represent either a small portion of your streaming royalties or even your publishing royalties that you can um, sell to your fan base now, uh, this rap artist, Nas, did this, and he uh, took two of his songs from his latest release, and he made enough of these NFTs to cover one half of the streaming royalties on two songs. And each one of those NFTs were like point, you know, zero one five percent of his streaming royalties. And he sold it to his fan base, and he was able to generate a little over $600,000 in upfront income. And Mm -hmm. in addition, these things get bought and sold on the open market. So if anyone decides to resell it, he gets a commission on that resale value in perpetuity forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he also, if you think about it, he's got almost 3,000 fans now that have an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed. Um. What do you think of that as a potential uh, business model for the future where you can actually sell stock in a song to your fan base? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you honestly, you know, I, I love that idea. I really do. Um, you know, you cut out a lot of middle people, you know, with that. Um, and it seems like you would have a little more control over things, you know. Well, yeah. I but mean- again. Uh, Billboard had an, yeah, Billboard had an article where they said of the billions of dollars that are generated through the music industry, only 12% gets to the artist because there are so many middlemen in this industry, you know, yeah. from aggregators right. to distributors to streaming services to managers to you, you name it, they're out there. You know, every time mm-hmm. you write a song, there's at least six or eight people with their hand out in, in that line, you know? Yeah. 
so if we can eliminate all of these middlemen, that means more in the artist's pocket. And I think at this stage of, of uh, the music industry, how uh, streaming has diminished uh, the earning potential of recorded music, that this is definitely something that is um, way overdue, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, it's so interesting to see what technology brings about. And I'm, you know, I'm wide open um, as far as uh, wanting to be a part of it. Um, but I take it with a, a grain of salt. You know, I, I'm cautious about it because, I mean, look at look at what some people have done. You know, they've just... Uh, that this guy, uh, what's his what's his name? Um, to, they call him Little, uh, the guy that stole uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, billions really, uh, from people um, and, and on the stock market. You know? Oh yeah. Well, there's enough of those no. out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bernie uh, Madoff when, with his, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, the Bernie, <laughs> they call him this yeah. other guy. Anyway, uh, you know, it's just when when other people are in control uh, that you don't know. That, you know, you, we're so used to having uh, tangible things to deal with, people to deal with. You go to a bank and it's a building, you know. Right. It's, it's hardly any of that anymore. It's, everything's virtual now, you know. Well, I, I think that, you know, the whole idea of having a tangible product is – you know, we as old people, you know, old guys, you know, we can identify having that that tactile experience of, of music, you know, where we, you know, we would get a vinyl in our hands back in the day. And it was a it, it was an active experience to put that onto a turntable, put the needle down and listen to it from front to back and then turn it over and listen to the other side. Today, mm -hmm. you know, people are not listening to music like that anymore. It's a completely different experience. They're creating soundtracks for their life. Mm -hmm. They're creating something that, you know, my workout playlist, my drive home playlist, you know. And, and it's, yeah. it's a different mindset in how people are listening. Um and, and we have to look at these technologies today as artists and say, okay, how can we utilize this technology and monetize it in such a way that I can continue to make a living doing what I love to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's really the goal that we're all striving for at this point. And, you know, yeah. if, if we're going to achieve that goal, we're going to have to work together as an independent artist community to get a seat at that table uh, when they, when this new technology starts to take off, you know, the, the next version of streaming. So I think a lot of us need to be ahead of the curve and, and get ourselves a seat before everyone else rushes in. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I agree with you there. Well, you know, yep. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, listen, when you talk to Jim, tell him I said hello. Um, well, Richard, it's been my pleasure, and I will certainly do that for you. All right. Uh, he'll be clear about that. 
And, uh, you know, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw those neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. Thank you so much, Richard, for, uh, for I want to say, spinning the songs. Yeah, well, you know, I, I spin. I'll turn around for you. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, I'm so happy that uh, people like you have, have gotten on board and, and helped helped us out with this because, you know, otherwise we'd be sitting in the dark and howling, <laughs> you know, be on, out on the creek without a paddle, I should say. There you go. Uh, it, it, you know, we, we really, really appreciate uh, what, what you do and people like you do for us. Well, it's my pleasure. I enjoy every minute of it. They all boarded that plane Destination Baton Rouge But that was all about to change When that conveyor started struggling And soon gave up the fight A southern rock band from Jacksonville Became legends overnight No help for my There's an old birch tree that keeps a watch From sunrise to dark With the title of that famous song Carved into her bark For some it seems like yesterday Since that fateful flight That claimed the lives of those poor young souls On that sad October night How
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make- 